it's been a delight to be here. We have a beautiful parish and a beautiful adoration chapel. So um, with that, this topic is, is really important for us, um, saving the world through the family. Um, we all know that our families are struggling and um, that Jesus has given us everything that we need. He has equipped us to um, fight this good fight and to be victorious. And so tonight, what I hope to do is to share with you some of St. John Paul the Great's writings um, that he wrote extensively on the family, theology of the body, dignity of women. He's written tons and tons, and he is who I have um, spent most of my short time on earth so far studying. Um, So let's start off with a prayer, and... um, Maybe we could just ask everyone to just pray really hard with me. We'll ask our Lord to bless this night. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Victory, pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Um, I wanted to start off by, first of all, just talking a little bit about Adam and Eve and what happened in that garden. So God had set everything up in the garden for their success, and he only gave them a couple rules. Stay away from the fruit, okay? Otherwise, they were able to pretty much rule the garden and take over and become all that he intended for them. John Paul taught that at the source of their dignity was their ability to choose, to use their will, their free will, to align it with God's will and to obey that commandment. It was at the very beginning of what it meant to be a human being. Was the ability to choose life and live or to choose death and die? And yet, how could they even know what death was? And so, the temptation comes. The test comes. And Eve takes the fruit, and then she hands it off to her husband, and he takes the fruit, and they both immediately know what shame is. In that sin, not only was the relationship between God broken, but the relationship between man and woman was really wounded. And if you look closely in Genesis, at Genesis 3.15, the father is searching for them. And he comes into the garden looking for them. And before he addresses them, he addresses the snake. And he says to the snake, I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
between you and her offspring. You will bite at his heel and he will crush your head. Enmity means I will make you enemies with the woman and her offspring. And if you go from Genesis to Revelation, who is the woman crowned with the stars? And who is her offspring? Jesus Christ. And he will rule with an iron rod all the nations. And as you go from Genesis through the scriptures, right in the middle, you have Luke, the nativity, where Jesus is born, and then you go to the cross. And Jesus is on the cross. And who is standing underneath the cross? Not wailing, not falling apart. Pope John Paul II said she had perhaps the deepest kenosis of faith that any human being has ever had. Kenosis says an experience of faith. Faith, confidence. Confidence. With faith. She stood under the cross. She stood in her suffering and in her pain. As Mary experienced the cost of her salvation. I am the handmaid of the Lord. Yes. Let it be done unto me. Yes. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, my altogether Savior. So, through one family in the garden, everything is broken. Original sin. And through another family, Jesus, Mary, St. Joseph, salvation comes back into the world to show us, to teach us who we are. Made in the image and likeness of God, in the image of the Trinity, as communal family. And what does it take? It takes a really good God who is willing to what? Become flesh. To become one of us. I like to tell the youth, that's like you and I becoming an ant to teach the ants who they really are if they were. But they're not. But for God to become one of us could only mean one thing. For him to become one of us is that he really wants us to become one of them. And who is the them? The Trinity. That each person, each one of us, each one of us, John Paul II taught, is called, each human being is called to a unique, irrevocable, irreplaceable relationship with the Holy Trinity. And no one can take our spot. No one can take our spot. It's a tiny spot. Mother Teresa said, every drop of water in the ocean is a part of the ocean, and every drop is missed. 
And so Jesus becomes one of us to teach us who we are. I was um, driving... This is my early days of youth ministry. I had to drive like 45 minutes out to Osakis, Minnesota. It seemed like the longest drive forever because it just went on and on and on, straight drive down this little narrow. And I'm in my Pontiac T1000, you know, this great car, and I'm driving. I'm going out there to do a retreat for the youth group out there. And as I'm driving along, I start to think about how big the world is. And I start to think, what if I just took my little Pontiac T1000 and I just kept on driving? You know, I could go to Africa, Asia, Russia, China, the ocean, hit the Holy Lands. And as I start thinking about how big this world is, just the world, I stopped as I was driving and I said, and how big is the being that made it? He's big. I mean, really big. <laughs> and then I went, oh, and how did that great big being get into a tiny little body? A little tiny baby body at Christmas. And not explode. This, this is amazing. This is amazing. Why did God become one of us in this tiny little baby body? It was to show us to not be afraid of him. Because who is afraid of a baby? And Our Lady, when she held that baby, she kissed the face of God. Is that me? Oh boy. Shh, be good. She kissed the face of So one good God, one holy woman, and St. Joseph, and everything begins again. It all starts over, and God comes back into his creation to start to save the world, one family at a time. So now we have to talk about the world for a second. This is a quote from this letter. Living in such a world under the pressures coming above all from the mass media, the faithful do not always remain immune from the obscuring of certain fundamental values. There's lots of pressure in this world. So how did we get to the crisis of faith that we're at? It began with the Industrial Revolution. So I like to tell the kids up in the Twin Cities, a hundred years ago, there was no Mall of America. And they go, like they just can't even fathom. But I said, it's not been around that long that we have all these malls and all this stuff. So with the Industrial Revolution, for the first time, we have access to stuff, stuff, stuff. Are you following me? Then with the invention of the pill, the birth control pill, for the first time, sexuality could separate birth and family life from pleasure. 
and it just exploded. And I do a whole teaching on this that I cannot do tonight, but I will tell you this. My dad is 82 years old, and he is a Catholic doctor. He never gave out the birth control pill. And he, he really lost a lot of patients, literally, his own patients and his patients. Because when the pill came out, it was just people weren't prepared for it. And he was studying medicine at the time. And he studied all the harmful. We're going to switch. Good. Praise the Lord. I, did I do good? Okay, everybody say Hail Mary. Okay. Hello, testing. That's better. So when the contraception pill came out, he had studied all the harmful effects of it, and he said he could not give it to my mother. Therefore, he could not give it to the patients, and he just took his stand. And he saw and read Paul VI's writings on what would happen to the world if we followed this path. And the predictions in his practice over the next 30, 40 years, he saw it happen. The families broke down, relationships suffered, pornography came in on the scene, and for the first time, the pleasure, pleasure, pleasure started to take over. Okay, so we have stuff, 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 pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Now, just to make it interesting, let's throw in technology. Quicker, faster, better. Quicker, faster, better. Stuff, 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 pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Quicker, faster, better. Crisis of faith. Who are we? What are we doing here? Why are we here? And... John Paul said it was a crisis of faith that hit the world like a tsunami because we lost our path. We lost our way. We lost what was truly important and what would make men and women alive and happy. And what is it that makes us alive and happy? Stuff, pleasure, and technology? No. Love. Love, because the human heart, he said, was made for love. Family, become who you are. The discernment effected by the church becomes the offering of an orientation in order that the entire truth and the full dignity of marriage and the family may be preserved. This discernment is accomplished through the sense of the faith, which is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives to all of the faithful the gift of the sacrament of marriage. Following Christ, the church sees the truth, which is not always the same as the majority opinion. The church sees the truth of who the family is and what the role of the family is and the dignity of the family. And that dignity and that role is taught within the family itself. The family becomes the schoolhouse of love. And this is how it is passed down. The children will act out what they learn. 
So when we were a young married couple and we had these two little guys, my husband would come home from work, and I don't know why he did this, but he just did it. When he saw the boys, David and Michael, three years apart, he would quack at them. He'd walk in the door and he'd go quack, quack, like he could do it really good. And these two little guys would what? Quack back. And this became their tradition until one day he came in and he, he started to realize the kids were responding to him. The, he was teaching them how to say hello like a duck. So he started walking around the house, cracking and flapping his wings, and they marched right behind, so I jumped in too. And I was thinking about that because I was trying to think out, I was like, what is an example of what I'm trying to say here? These things about love that are taught naturally in a home, you can't get it in a book. It's, it's a language of love. It's the art of love, and it comes in many, many ways. It brings peace and joy, and it brings love. This is what our Lord wanted us to be able to pass down through the culture and to teach our families how to love so that our families would become families of love, building up both the church and building up the society and the culture. So this is what he says. Because of the image that I gave you of the crisis of faith and with everything going on in the world today, the modern world, He says this, our era needs wisdom more than bygone ages if the discoveries made by man are to be further humanized. For the future of the world stands in peril unless wiser people are forthcoming. That is strong. He says the future of the world stands in peril unless wiser people are forthcoming. The plan for God in marriage, God inscribed in the human heart of man and woman a vocation, and thus in a, a vocation is a calling. He has called all men and all women to this vocation. It is the capacity and the responsibility of love and communion, and it is in the heart of every person. And even those who are called to consecrated life or religious life, it is not because the vocation of marriage, the relationship between a man and a woman, is less than. No. He said it is because of the great good that is there that some are called to forsake the great good to protect that good. So Maximilian Kolbe, when he was in the concentration camps, how many of you are familiar with that story? Okay. He laid down his life for a family. And so the good shepherds of our church lay down their life not because they're better than us. They lay down their life because they are called to this loving vocation to protect and to nurture and to build up God's family. The little family and the big family, the family of God. Because each family makes up one cell in the big family of God. That's what he teaches. Can you tell I get excited about this? (laughs) I really do. I just love it. Okay, so Christ is calling families. He says this, families must return to him. Families must return to Christ. 
He says that sexuality is realized in a truly human way only if it is an integral part of love, which a man and a woman commit themselves totally to one another until death. The total physical self-giving would be a lie if it were not the sign and the fruit of a total personal self-giving. So one thing that's really important with the whole debate on marriage Redefining marriage, okay? We stand for the definition of marriage that God has given us. And so simply speaking about sacramental marriage, we can say sacramental marriage is between a man and a woman. That's sacramental marriage. And I have to be honest with you, I stay away from all other debates. I just don't talk about it. Because every person who is struggling with their orientation, their sexuality, and everything else that we struggle with, we struggle with a lot of things. Amen? Do we all not need a Savior? Amen? So why don't we just talk about the Savior? (laughs) And when we talk about marriage, let's just say, well, that's fine. The government is going to define it this way. I'm not saying it's fine, but are you following me? Like... This is a secular definition. This is happening here. This is happening here. How are we going to define marriage in the church? Like my dad said, I'm sticking with the Holy Father. That is what prevented him from giving out birth control. And now he is 82 years old. He just retired. Yes, just retired because he was forced into an early retirement because my mother got sick. (laughs) But... He, now they have studied all the harmful effects, and he, as a doctor, will never give an account of any abortificent birth control. He, will, he was spared all of that because he stuck with the Holy Father. But he loved his people, and he loved his patients. And when they were ready to have children, they usually came back to him because he was a really good doctor. And so the key for this whole message of saving the family is to unite our hearts with Christ, to teach our children, just like the duck thing, how to really love God. You know, and I have to tell you, like, we let people walk away too easy. We let our children walk away too easy. One time my older brother who was in college came home and said, I'm not going to Mass anymore. And my dad just looked at him and said, He's sitting at the counter. He goes, well, that's a pretty stupid thing. (laughs) And and my brother goes, well, that didn't sound good. He goes, well, he said, I'm going to tell you what, Lyle, that's his name. He said, I'm going to tell you what, Lyle. There is nothing more important than going to the holy sacrifice of the mess. Because your Savior He got his butt kicked on that cross for you and for me, and we're going to just throw this away? What's going to happen if you pass on in the middle of the night or tomorrow? Who are you going to turn to then? I suggest you get to confession and knock it off. And he did. That was it. Now, is it? And you're like, I can't. But that's what he needed. He's, oh, I'm not going to go to bed. Oh, yeah? Well, I don't think that's pretty stupid. 
He's a good guy. He is. He says it like it is. Okay. So we had, I had this situation where uh, one of the young people from my youth group who had grown up had decided that he was going to move in with his girlfriend. And I knew he knew better. And his mom came to talk to me. Isn't that funny? His mom comes talk to me. Can you do anything? I'm like, I'll do something. Okay. So I prayed about this. And so this is what I want you to understand, because this is what I told him. Okay, so in marriage, the sacrament of marriage, when the man is in Christ, that means baptism, confirmation, going to Mass, not mortal sin, not jumping out of God's love, but really in Christ, and the woman is in Christ, when they stand at the altar and they make those vows, God binds their souls together. And I have to tell you something. If we had a man and a woman in this church, and they ran at each other 100 million miles an hour, parts would fly, but they could not bind their souls together. And not only does God bind their souls together, but he says that it is indissoluble union. And he compares it to the union of Jesus Christ and this church. And what God has put together, people cannot divide. And that is the truth. That is the truth. And when you have a man and a woman who love each other, and they're in Christ, Christ unites their souls, when those bambinos come, there is a house and there is a family. And the children are the crown of that marriage. They are wanted, they are loved, and they are respected. Amen. That's what it is. And that is what Jesus planned to do. He planned to save the whole entire world by saving one family at a time. One person at a time. And that there would be so much love in that home that those children could grow up in love And this, I love this, in this teaching, it's in here, that eventually, not only would the parents save the children, but someday the children would save the parents. And that then their family would become a saving family because people would come into their home and they would feel the love. And they would want to know what was different. My kids would bring home friends all the time to our house. Um, one, one Michael brought home a group, uh, this young man from, who lived in China who was studying at the U. He sat down at our dinner table, and we have four kids. I mean, that's not even like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that was good for me, but I'm just saying, that's not your eight, ten kid Catholic family, right? The, I call those the Olympian families. <laughs> I'm just a regular, <laughs> But he sat down at our family table, and he was almost in tears. He said, in our country, we can only have one child, and I was the child. And my parents had to work in separate cities. So I, my parents were not even allowed to live together. They had to work in separate cities, and he was between them all the time. And he's like, you gather here at this table and eat and drink and laugh almost every night. And we do. We do that at our house. We eat really late sometimes. We wait. We put, I put out snacks. Because I learned this from someone who helped start our youth group. 
there was this family and the Carlsons, they had like eight children and Mama Carlson made the rule that they would not eat dinner till the last child was home. And the kids told me, we hated it sometimes. We'd be starving, the food's ready, it's getting old and, you know, Alex didn't get home yet. We're all waiting there and she's putting out some carrots for us, but come on. But finally, the last one would come in and they would all eat together. And they would, they would talk and they would laugh. And sometimes the dinners went late. And he said, sometimes, Alex said, it was, sometimes it was just wonderful. And other times it was just a sacrifice and a pain. And we, our mother drove us crazy. Their dad got cancer when the kids, the last kids, the last three, were in high school. And he struggled with cancer for two years, and he died. And Alex, Anna, and Luke were the founding siblings of our youth group. All three of them came for our first youth group, and, the, and, by, and we all prayed and walked with these kids. And the whole, all the teens that came were their friends. And when he died, they were all in church. And they all went out to, the, to, to bury him crying and praying the rosary. And Alex said to me later, he is now Father Alex Carlson, he said to me later, he said, thank goodness my mom made us all eat together for all those years because we had no idea how short life can be. And so we really want to know that the sacrament of marriage is holy because Holiness is about love, and that we truly have access to the God of love, and we can learn how to love, and we can teach our children to love. Now, I want to say this quote, and then I'm going to keep moving on here. This is a quote I found from the early church fathers. It's so beautiful, and especially, I want you to, because for those of you who are married, you had no idea what was happening on your wedding day, but this is what Tertullian, did I say it right? Anyway, he's an early church father, Tertullian. Is that right? Pretty close. Bless you. Okay. He says this. How can I ever express the happiness of the marriage that is joined together by the church, strengthened by the offering, sealed by a blessing, announced by the angels, and ratified by the Father? How wonderful the bond between two believers with a single hope, a single desire, and a single observance, a single service. They are both brethren and both fellow servants. There is no separation between them in spirit or in flesh. In fact, they are truly two in one flesh, and where the flesh is one, one is the spirit. Wow. Now that is communion and friendship, and love. That's the real deal. You know? And we're going to give this up over what? By virtue of the sacramentality of their marriage, spouses are bound to one another in the most profoundly indissoluble manner. Their belonging to each other is the real representation by means of a sacramental sign of the very relationship of Christ with his church. So now you know why 
the fight is on. Because God sets his plan and his vision, and he shows us what he wants. And then we, because we are fallen in our flesh, we have to fight the world who's trying to teach us that marriage should just be anything anybody wants it to be. And then you got your flesh. I don't know about you, but, you know, we're easily tempted. That's what part of the problem is, you know. Two days good, one day down, up, down, up, down, right? <laughs> one time I went to confession, and I'm like, I had a bad one, right? This was a while ago, though, sure. <laughs> but anyway, so I go, little sin, little sin, big sin, little sin. I'm behind the screen, and the priest says, let's go back to the middle. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Father. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I was sorry, you know what I mean? But you got to kind of laugh at this. This is hard, right? So you got, you got the world, then you got the flesh, and then just to make life interesting, you got the devil. Isn't this great, you know? And yet when, when God is saying that in me you are more than conquerors, greater is he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, than he who is in the world. And so what Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to follow after him and he wants us to stay in him. You are the vine, I am the branches. And just to make this clear to our youth group, I found this big branch that fell off a tree in our church parking lot. Like, you know, so I took it in my office and I just let it die. And then for a youth group night, I said, okay, notice the branch. Is it connected to the tree? No. I am the vine, you are the branch. What happens when you separate yourself from the tree, Jesus? You die. That's it. And they're like, ah. That was great. That's all I had to say. You die. That's it. <laughs> they're like, ah. I say, you see these pews here? Because our church is older. Your church isn't as old. But you go in those really old churches, you know. I say, you see all these pews here? People are like, yeah. How old is this church? Oh, 100 years. I said, a lot of people there sitting in those pews, and you know where they are now. They're somewhere. They're looking at us, and they're hoping we're going to figure it out. Right? Okay. So, part three, the role of the Christian family. Family, become who you are. He says this. Each family finds within itself a summons that cannot be ignored, that specifies both its dignity and its responsibility. He's saying each family has a summons. They are being summoned by God. Family, become what you are. In God's plan, it has been established as an intimate community of life and love. The family has the mission to become more and more what it is. That is to say, a community of life and love. And an effort that will find fulfillment as everything created and redeemed in the kingdom of God. Our families will find fulfillment in the kingdom of God. 
So when I was a young mother and I had had two of my children, I had had two boys and had difficult labors. And I said, that's good enough for me. And my husband said, oh, I want one more. You can have the baby. But when I went up to church and I knelt down and I prayed, I said, Jesus, if it was up to me, I would be done after I had my 10-pound baby boy. <laughs> I'm not that big. But don't you let me get to heaven without my children. I said, don't you let me get to heaven without my children. I am asking you for the grace and the power and the strength to have the children that you want me to have. And this is so important that we teach our children and our grandchildren this. Because the only thing we can take to heaven with us are our children. And then you have the lives that our children will affect, right? And this isn't about condemning anybody. It's about teaching the truth, right? God does not condemn anyone. I happen to have the grace to say that prayer. It's a grace to be able to pray. It's the Holy Spirit who prays in us and teaches us how to think like God thinks. Because he says in the scriptures, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways and my thoughts are so high above you. They are higher than the heavens. So one day I was laying down and I was trying to think about how high the heavens were. Because you think about the universe and all the planets and the sun. And I thought, oh my gosh. <laughs> He's really smart. <laughs> and that's why he wants us to what? Trust him. That he will not ask us to do something that's not possible. He will give us the grace to do what is possible. And in Christ, there is no condemnation. That's another one of my favorite Bible verses. I think it's in Romans. In, so I looked up the word condemnation one day in the Bible. And the word condemnation means to look down upon, to exclude, to not find favor with. God never condemns us for any of our actions. He loves us and died for us. For every time we would say no to him, whether we knew it or not, there's less, oh, there's less um, offense when you don't know what you're doing and you do something wrong. And yet, many times we say we don't know, but you still got that gut feeling. You know what I'm talking about? So one time I was doing a talk, this was a few years ago, and I shared a story, and my pastor got a phone call. And so he called me in the office the next day, and I'm not even going to tell you because I'm kind of embarrassed, but he goes, did you really tell a story about this? And I said, yep. And he said, did anything inside of you say maybe you shouldn't do that? I said... He said, listen to that voice. <laughs> he said, get out of here. <laughs> and I, I have listened to that voice ever since. 
So God wants us to learn from our mistakes. He wants us to look at the world and learn. He never condemns us. He always takes us back. Always. He is faithful. He has our back. He loves us. And this is the most important part of the gospel. Is that for God so loved the world, he sent his only son. So that whoever believed in him would have eternal life. And that eternal life doesn't start in heaven. It starts now. It's right now. The kingdom of God is right within us. Hello, Jesus. I was telling the teachers this today. I think they thought I was a little crazy, but I didn't get kicked out, so that was good. Like, how do we know God's not going to forget us? Like, how do we know? You know, there's a lot of, there's like a billion people on the planet. That's a lot of people. <laughs> there's a lot of coffins out there. Like, how is he going to remember all of us and who we are? So I was praying about this one day. And I was like, Jesus, like, how are you not going to forget us? And right away what came to me was, well, Tina, when you walk, do you worry about leaving your arm behind? I said, no. He said to me, well, you are in me and I am in you. And where I am, you are. And I'm not leaving anybody behind. The only way we separate ourselves from the Lord is if we freely choose to separate ourselves from him. But even when we separate ourselves from him, can you imagine if my arm freely chose to separate itself from me? Right? I'd be like, ow! <laughs> and the arm would not be doing that good, right? That pain and that suffering that we all feel because of sin in the world is because we have been separated. And so we pray for unity, and God sends the angels out, and the saints, and Mary, and everybody's like, a, they're like trying to heal. What? Heal the, the whole world. The whole world. Because Jesus Christ came into this world for each and every human being. Each and every human being. God is for them. So he says this, the role of the Christian family. Hence, the family has the mission to guard, reveal, and communicate love. The role of the family, the mission of the family is to guard love, reveal love, communicate love. Now, when I was preparing this for you, I've never done this before, but it was just this special group of people tonight. It's, he wants you to understand the mission is in the home and it's in this parish family. So the mission of this parish family is to guard love, to reveal love, and to communicate love. But it's also in the home. Because John Paul II taught that even if you don't have a family, everyone belongs to the great family. And so let's look at what this means, to guard love. So this is the story I want to share with you. We were at our parish a few years ago, and somebody came into the parish on a Sunday morning, so it'd be like the deacons and the priests, and everybody was getting ready for Mass, and all the people were coming in, and this man came in from the back, and he started to tell people that 
that the Catholics were not going to go to heaven, and he was yelling at people, and he was just like, just not a good thing. And then nobody knew what to do. And so they told, so it got passed up to the front, and was Father Miller found out. And so Mass hadn't started, but it was getting ready, so it was delayed. And he goes back there, and you can hear this guy. I was like not present right there, but I was like over in the hall, I don't know, getting donuts ready or something. But I could hear there was something going on. And all of a sudden, we hear this from Father Miller. It was so funny. Get out of my church! <laughs> he stands up to this person who's like ready to, he's taking on parishioners, and the parishioners like, don't know what to <laughs> No gun, no knife, no sword. <laughs> he just said, get out of my church. <laughs> it, I just can't tell you, it was so beautiful. Everybody started <laughs> The guy left. <laughs> but it was so protective. That is guarding love. When you see something that is in your church and you're just like, get out. You know? Um, my, one, of, one of the youth from our church was telling the story. So this is like, that's for the church example. No, this is for the family example, right? One, of, one, of, one day I was up in the mall with one of my older sons. And there was, all of a sudden he just stopped like this. He goes, Mom, just stay here a second and don't do anything. I'm like, uh-oh. Obedience. Just kidding. And he, t- and he goes up to this, to this man with a camera. And he says, turn off your camera and get lost. And he comes back. I said, what was that about? He goes, that guy was videotaping women and their body parts as they walked by. That is guarding love. That's the spirit. You see that? This same young man who did this at the age of 26, this same young man, when we were at Graham and Grandpa's house for Christmas when he was 14 years old, and the TV station, the Netflix, not Netflix, but the, not Netflix, but just the, you know how they, I can't even think anymore. They had given Grandma and Grandpa a free porn station and nobody knew. So the little kids got a hold of the, right? And we're, this is like a big Catholic family. We're dishing up the turkey, you know? And all of a sudden, Michael's sitting there with his TV dinner tray and one of the babies had the, was changing channels and all of a sudden there is live porn start coming right into Grandma's house. He flew off the couch, flipped his tray, flipped his dinner, boom, the off button, gone. And then everybody stopped and looked at him. He goes, um, sorry, Grandma, I messed up your carpet. That was the end of it. That's guarding love. It's a sense of what is good and what is evil. He was trying to protect his little cousins, but it was still the spirit. Does that make sense? This is what we have to have because we are fighting a true battle. This same priest, Father Miller, told me that pornography is the scourge of our time. It is the scourge of our time. We are dealing with so much addiction, not only with the youth, but in many, many families. And it is hurting the communal or the friendship. 
guard love. We have to reveal love. We have to reveal what true love is. When our two little boys, my husband prayed and talked me into being open to life again. So I never contracepted. It's just that we knew how to do NFP. So, you know, we would abstain, and God never sent any babies. So my kids are 27, and then 24, and then 16. So we prayed, and I, like I said, I had a very difficult time with my second son, and I just, I just was scared. But we prayed and prayed, and then we conceived. As soon as I told the Lord yes, we conceived the next month. And we went out, and we were really excited. We went out, and we bought baby shoes. And we told the boys there was a scavenger hunt. They had no idea. I said, there's a surprise coming, and we want to show you what it is. But you have to find the clues. So they went all through the house hunting and hunting, and they finally found a pair of these little baby shoes. And I can still remember them going, baby shoes? And David going, these won't fit me. And he's looking at them, looking at them. All of a sudden, they both looked up. We're going to have a baby. <laughs> Just jumping and dancing. And we had a party. We had a big party with the boys. Cake and ice cream. And... But that is revealing love. That's teaching love. Does that make sense? Okay. So we are to esteem one another. There was a, 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 a woman that had left the faith and... She was, we hung out in high school. She had left the faith. She was very busy, became a very successful lawyer. And one time we were meeting, we were having coffee, and um, we were just talking a little bit. And I said to her, I said, you know, if I ever need a lawyer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you. And she said, okay. And I said, and if you ever want to know about God and the Catholic faith, I want you to call me. Because I've studied theology as long as you've studied law. And she said, deal. And I prayed and prayed for her. Did not connect with her till a year ago. And when we connected, we all got together. When we connected on the way home from that, we, a bunch of girls went up to a cabin and hung out. On the way home, her and I were driving together. She asked to pull over. And she asked. And I had prayed and asked the Lord, you know that scripture that says, always be ready to give an account of your faith? That's the biggest thing that Jesus needs us to do, is to pray for people, but when they ask the question, give them the answer. Like, don't hem and haw. And the Holy Spirit will help us to give the right answer. So I had said to Jesus, if she ever asked me, where should I start? And, the, and, the, the, and I felt right away the line was, Let's go back to Christmas. Begin with Christmas. And so on that way home, we pulled over in a park, and she opened up her heart to me, and she told me everything that she had been suffering. People who live without God and live without faith, it, it's just so hard. And that's why it's so important that we don't judge them. Mother Teresa said, if you judge them, you can't love them. You have to love people. Just love them. And when they're ready, they're going to ask you the question. And then the soil will be ready. She was ready, and I started with Christmas, and I did the talk, right, at the beginning here. I just 
you know, did the best it could do. She called me a few weeks later, and we went for a long walk, and she asked a ton more questions. And I just did the same thing. I just, Christmas, baby, salvation, anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's really important for us to understand that Jesus will save us, even on our deathbed, if we have rejected him our whole life. And that's why it is so important that we teach people that he is loving, and if they call on his name, he will save them. Because he told Sister Faustina, Jesus told Sister Faustina that right now many people, more than ever at this time, are not choosing until their deathbed. And that's why he gave us the Mercy Chaplet. That we, he said, you can pray that mercy chaplet for anyone who is dying and that he would reveal himself as love to them so that their decision would be easier. Because they don't feel worthy of him. Because they haven't lived for him. And so on their deathbed, they condemn themselves. Jesus doesn't condemn them. They condemn themselves because of their sin. And because they do not realize that he loves them and does not condemn them. So they condemn themselves and as they separated themselves on earth, they separate themselves forever. That is scary, to be separated forever. That's a long time. And so that is why God is calling us to be willing to love and to sacrifice so that we can reveal love and that we can um, guard love and that we can reveal love and that we can communicate love and that takes sacrifice because we as pilgrims in Christ, right? We have to put love where there is no love. And that's why it requires such more effort. Holy hours, penance, prayer, and then anything you can do to show any act of kindness to anyone at any time, why? Because you do not know who you are loving. And if your act of kindness, your prayer, your holy hour, when you get to heaven, you will see how it changed the world. Because Jesus said that every act of kindness is eternal. And that's Fred. What happened with this precious friend of mine is that two weeks later she took her life. And I was at home in my rocking chair praying for her in the middle of the night. And I finally had the courage just to say, Jesus, did she call upon you? Did she accept you at that moment of despair? I'm sitting in my chair, and it's quiet and peaceful. And this song comes to me, and I'm not a singer. But the song that came to me was, Oh, holy night. I was like, The stars are brightly shining. And I went, It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. I thought, Christmas, long live. And I started singing that song, and I thought, She did it. She did it. In her last despairing moments, Jesus was talking to her about Christmas and the gospel for me. People were praying for her. 
And so we entrust her now to him, right? But we must fight for each other. That we must guard love, we must reveal love, and we must communicate love. Love is the principle and power of communion, which is indivisible and indissoluble. Love never fails. It never ends. Tom Basco said about the youth that he worked with, I get them to love me so they will follow me anywhere. I get them to love me so they will follow me anywhere. You see what we're doing here? Christ renews the first plan that the Creator inscribed in the hearts of man and woman and in the celebration of the sacrament of marriage. In holy matrimony, Christ offers a new heart, and thus the couples are not only able to overcome the hardness of heart, but also and above all... Oops. Sorry. I lost myself. Also and above all, they are able to share the full and definitive love of Christ, the new and eternal covenant made in the flesh. So Christian couples are called to participate truly in the irrevocable indissolubility that binds Christ to the church, his bride loved by him to the end. Isn't this beautiful? Yeah, it's just so refreshing. I say it's like Subway. It's fresh. Okay. <laughs> I'm bad. Okay. we got a few more minutes here. Family communion can only be preserved and perfected through a great spirit of sacrifice. So Time Magazine, a few years ago, did an article on the family. And they said that more and more people wanted to have a family but less and less they were willing to sacrifice to have one. And what John Paul was writing at this, that same time was this, that family communion could only be preserved and perfected through a great spirit of sacrifice. There is no family that does not know how selfishness, discord, tension, and conflict violently attack and at times mortally wound its own communion. So families go through stuff that's very hard. How many would say yes? Okay, so this is what he's saying. He is saying that there is no family who does not go through this. Oh. But at the same time, Every family is called by the God of peace to have the joyous and renewing experience of healing, reconciliation, that is, communion reestablished and unity restored. He is saying that in God, the God of peace, it is possible to have communion and to have friendship and to have peace. But we have to fight for it. Because our flesh is so weak, what we want to do is we want to get angry and mad. 
and we partner with the enemy instead of partnering with the Holy Spirit. So what does the enemy sow? Discord, violence, anger, hatred, lust. All the deadly sins, right? That's what he sows. And he sows this into our wounds and into our weakness. And so what does God, the Father, the God of peace, sow into us? He gives us baptism, confirmation, the Holy Eucharist. He gives us the Holy Spirit. But when he gives the Holy Spirit to us, we have to receive the Holy Spirit into our hearts. If our hearts are hardened because of sin or because of wounds, because people have been mean to us, there's so many things that harden our hearts. The only way to soften up the heart again is to reconcile with God and to let him have it all. Take it all. You know, to give that brokenness back to him. And it's hard to do. There is this woman who, um, that I love to, to read about. I talked to her about the teachers today. Her name is Corrie Ten Boom. She was in the um, concentration camp. And as a younger lady, she watched her sister beaten to death by this guard. And her sister, Betsy, died of those wounds in the concentration camp. Corey survived. And when she got out, God asked her to go through Germany speaking on forgiveness. Because she knew the only way that we could overcome is to be like Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, was it fair? No. Most of the suffering that we go through in life that is not fair, it's not fair and it's not just. That is the kind of suffering that can harden our hearts. It can make us bitter and it can make us angry and it can pull us away from God. And so here was Corey preaching and teaching on forgiveness in a church trying to heal the country of Germany because she thought she had forgiven her enemies. In Jesus, she was trying to forgive them because she knew Jesus loved them as much as he loved her. And what happened to her is as she was speaking, that soldier that killed her sister came into the church and sat down and listened to her talk on forgiveness. And she said she could barely finish it. After the talk, she saw him coming up. And he approached her and he said, I have heard your talk. I want to believe in this Jesus of yours. I want to believe that I can be forgiven. I did many horrible things. If you forgive me, I will know that I am forgiven and I will believe in your Jesus. And she said everything in her wanted to turn and run away. That's the flesh. Does that make sense? But in her heart, she heard the Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is the word of God. And the word of God has power. 
to conform our flesh, to conform our minds, to conform our hearts, and make us like Jesus. And this is where we just have to stand and make the effort, but he does the work. And she said she made herself just stand there and raise her hand instead of running away. And, and he put out his hand, and as soon as their hands shook, she said, peace of the Holy Spirit filled her, and she started to cry, and she said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I think. And isn't that what Jesus did on the cross to the good thief? He forgave him and gave him hope because he was a dead man going down. And that is what she did that day. When we forgive people in the name of Jesus Christ, on our own, I have to tell you, I can't do it. Because my mind starts thinking about it again and again and again. How many people know what I'm talking about? Again and again and again and again. You go, oh. Because it wasn't just and it wasn't fair. Or they didn't understand. But when we ask God for the help to forgive them and maybe even go to confession... I don't know if you've ever done this, but I have. I have gone to confession to forgive somebody for sinning against me. Like, I had this happen to me. This is so funny. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I'll just tell you really quick. I backpacked in Europe with a group of friends, and one of them was my boyfriend. And he treated me terribly in Europe. And I broke up with him. And then the whole group didn't like me because I broke up with him because he's being really mean and my dad told me to not go on that trip and I should have listened to him. But I went and I broke up with him in Europe and I had a little Bible and a little prayer book and I backpacked in Europe by myself for six weeks. And the first place I went was Rome. When I got back, I had the hardest time forgiving him for doing that. While I was in Europe, I was okay. But when I got home, it was so hard to forgive. And I went into a pretty bad depression for almost nine months till Easter. It was from August till Easter. I went, made myself go to school, but as soon as I got home from school... I went to bed. And finally, at Easter time, my mom came into my room one night, and she said, I'm going over for confession. I think you should come. And I had the blankets all over my head. No, I don't want to. Because for nine months, I just kept thinking about everything that happened and how I was hoping to marry this guy. And then she came back in the room, and she did. She just said, Gina, I can't make you go to confession, but I can't ask you to go to church with me. Okay. So I went to church. And it's packed. They did the prayers. They had all these priests there for confession. Everybody was going. Everybody was gone. There was no one left in the church but me and this poor priest that was in that confessional. And I was sitting back there saying, should I go, should I go, should I go? Finally, I thought, oh, what the hell? So I walked up there, he was in the sacristy, and I knelt down, and it wasn't face-to-face. It was, so, it was so beautiful, because he was sitting in the chair, and the kneeler was right there, so I could just talk in his ear, and I'm not kidding you. 
I told him the whole story. And he sat there so patiently listening to me. God bless him, because it was a good one. And he's nodding his head, and he's going, oh, and oh, and oh. <laughs> and finally, finally I get to the end, and I go, and that's it. Then he clears his throat, and he waited a minute or two, and it's just quiet. And I thought, I wonder if he fell asleep. I mean, it was long, you know. And then I hear him say, young lady, you need to write him a letter and forgive him. I said, oh, Father, don't give me that penance. I can't write to him. He so humiliated me. And you won't absolve me if you give me a penance. I can't. you got to give me a penance I can do, Father. Fine, 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 he said. He said, fine, fine. He said, all right, this is what I want you to do. Three hemiers, three our fathers, and write the letter. But I won't ask you to send it. That's up to you. So I said, okay. So he gave me an absolution. So... That pouring out your heart and asking for that kind of forgiveness and receiving the grace of that sacrament. Within three months, I was able to mail the letter with a dozen. And I knew when I put that letter and those roses in the mail that I would never hear from him again. That is the kind of grace that God will give us if we ask him. He can totally remove stuff from us. But we have to ask him, and we have to give him the permission to do it. There was a priest that told me... (laughs) There was a priest who told me at a talk one time that many, many people come to Mass and they're bored, and they don't get anything out of it. And he said the reason is, he was preaching this really loud, he said the reason is, is because they don't believe God is going to do anything at the Mass. And he said they're bored, and God is bored with them. So he said what we should do before we come to Mass is place our lives on that altar and Get ready. And really, really pray that not only would God heal us or help us, but pray for the whole world. Like, pray for your intention and then everybody else who has that intention. Does that make sense? And he said, if we would just come to Mass with grateful hearts, thanking God really for what we have, and then asking him for what we need, that we would see miracles happen. And so, I, I, I don't have time to do the whole teaching in the Eucharist, but I want to tell you that it's a good place to end because when Jesus went to Nazareth, he could do no miracles there because they didn't have any faith. He said, you have not because you ask not, and you ask not because you don't believe. You do not believe. And so it's actually your faith that allows him to open the door and to put these blessings down, and he will say yes, or he will say no, or he will say wait. But even the no is a yes, because he only says no to give you a bigger yes. That he will turn everything for our good, 
if we can just trust in him and give him time to work. And when we give him this, then we can move forward with our lives. So what we're going to do tonight is, in a few minutes, Deacon is going to bring out the Blessed Sacrament. And we are going to have Jesus on the altar. And then I'm going to lead you um, in a prayer. And does everybody here have you all, does everybody know what adoration is of the Blessed Sacrament? I know you have the chapel, but not everybody knows. But the monstrance is like the sun. And so they place the host in the monstrance. And what we believe is that in the Holy Eucharist, that Jesus Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity is contained. And it's not, it's not the crucified Christ. It's the crucified, risen Christ. And that's very important. Do you know when you go to communion, you don't just receive the crucified Christ? I know this is like tweaking it, but it's like you receive the crucified, risen, all-powerful Lord. (laughs) Right in there, you know? And that's why we really should almost be kind of nervous going to communion, but yet kind of excited, but yet kind of, whoa, do I need to, you know? It should be like that for us on Sunday. And that we would place all of our prayers on that altar. So let me just tell you this one little prayer that I prayed, and then we'll get ready, okay? So I'll close with this story. So after I heard this story, I came home that summer, and I was living at home and finishing the last semester of my school and internship in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for youth ministry, working for my mom and dad and at our clinic. And it was Christmas time, and my mother was sick. She had... Um, her blood platelets were down to like 61, pretty low. And um, she was supposed to be going at New Year's on a little trip with her friends. And my dad never liked to travel. My mom did, but she had eight kids, so she didn't get to travel much. So this was her second trip to Florida with her girlfriends. So she had already had one trip, and they were super excited. And my dad was also very, very strict about our diet at home. So we had lots of vegetables and chicken and fish, chicken and fish, chicken and fish. So, when Dad said to her, your blood platelets are too low, you can't go to Florida, she wasn't happy. So, I am the middle child, I am the mediator. So, she said, when I get home from Florida, you can put me in the hospital, and you can have all my blood if you want it. (laughs) But I want to go to Florida. Now, it takes a month to heal your blood platelets. So, Christmas and New Year's, only a week, right? So then he comes to me and he says, Gina, I want you to talk to your mother. She's not cooperating. If she gets cut or she gets hurt, she's going to bleed and it's not going to be pretty. You need to help me. I said, yes, Dad. Okay. So I talked to her and I talked to him and I wasn't getting anywhere with either one of them. Okay, so Christmas Eve mass, I go up to church. I remembered what Father taught me. So I go in there and I kneel down. I say, Jesus. Thank you that I'm home safe and sound and everything is as crazy as always. Right? Because this is what family life is like. It's always crazy. And so I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to put my mom and her blood up on your altar. I'm going to ask you to remember that she has served our family all these years. She hasn't traveled very much. Could you please heal her blood? 
And I said, and could you heal them so well that dad knows they're healed and that he'll let her go? And that was it. Then I just went on and drew my other prayers. Mass started. We went home. We had Christmas. It was New Year's. She was supposed to leave the next day. She was upstairs packing her bag. He was up at the clinic. And he called her up. Ginny, please come up to the cabin. I'm not the cabin. Come up to the clinic. I want to test your blood. I'll be up to the cabin in a couple weeks. I'll be back from Florida. You could test my blood then. Not cabin. Clinic. She hangs up. He goes back. Jenny, get up to the clinic. I want to test your blood. No. Quick. She, and she never does this, you know. Finally, he goes like, Jenny, no, I mean it. Get up to this clinic. I'm going to test your blood. Okay, fine. Boom. So she goes up to the clinic. He tells her blood. Goes down to Chippewa Falls Hospital, and he has it tested. Then he has it tested again. Then he has it tested again. 121. It had gone. So it had gone up well to what it needed to be. And he called her up and he said, I don't know what's going on here, but you can go to Florida. And I sat there smiling. And I was so thankful. And so I've told that story for years since. So tonight when Jesus comes out, please bring all of your prayers to him. And bring everything to him. And then just try. We have to start getting better at trusting. You know, trusting that he will do what's best for us. Okay? Amen. So we're going to bring Jesus out. And then um, if any of the um, high school kids or the young people want to come up, is it okay if they come up just to kneel on this? We do this sometimes. I'm just saying, if you guys want to come up close tonight, you can come up on the stairwell here during this. It's up to you. Any of the young people or high school people, come on up. And if you have a coat or a jacket, it is a little hard. You can kneel on that. What? Oh, and there's pads up here, Deacon said, if you want to grab a pad. Come on up, you guys. It'll be great. You don't have to, though. More pads over here, guys.
five steps of prayer. This is going to move along, so you have to really listen. The first step of prayer is that we would come before the Lord and we would bring to Him anything that is bothering us. So it can be health concerns, world concerns, family, child. Oh, 
this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he may grant you in accord with the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner self, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I'm going to read this scripture again, and I want you to picture the sacred heart of Jesus. A really good priest told me that this scripture is the description of the heart of Jesus. And as I read this, see if you can pick out a scripture verse, a word, or a phrase that jumps out at you. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that he may grant you in accord with the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Just take a couple minutes now, and whatever word that you picked out, mine was strength. Then you take that word, and you talk to Jesus about that conversation with Christ, and ask him, why did that word jump out at you? What is it that he wants to say to you? We'll just have quiet for a few minutes now.
Before we have benediction, please spend some time thanking God for all of your blessings. So important just to thank him that you can see and that you can walk and that you you have a warm bed. So many things we just take for granted and when we start to really thank God for all that we have, it's easier to be at peace. So let us together sing the hymn, Tom Tumergo. You have given them bread from heaven, having all sweetness within it. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you give us the Eucharist as the memorial of your suffering and death. May our worship of this sacrament of your body and blood help us to experience the salvation you have won for us and the peace of the kingdom, where you live with the Father and the Holy Spirit, 
one God forever and ever. So let us now recite the divine praises. Blessed be God. Blessed be his holy name. Blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be his most sacred heart. Blessed be his most precious blood. Blessed be Jesus in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Blessed be the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete. Blessed be the great Mother of God, Mary, most holy. Blessed be her holy and immaculate conception. Blessed be her glorious assumption. Blessed be the name of Mary, Virgin and Mother. Blessed be Saint Joseph, her most chaste spouse. Blessed be God in his angels and in his saints.
I want to start by thanking the Lord for being with us tonight in such a special way. Um, I also want to thank all of you for coming out to join us, and I especially want to thank Gina for sharing the wisdom the Lord's given her with us tonight. So can... It's really been a blessing for me to have her here because I've been 